Okay, last week we started to discuss the Mahachattarisaka Sutta, the discourse on the Great Forty. And in the Sutta, the Buddha is going to explain what he calls noble right concentration with its supports and its requisites. This is the right concentration of the truly noble Eightfold Path and the supports and requisites for that right concentration of the other path factors, the other seven path factors. And I think maybe last week, I think I jumped by going directly into the sutta without giving a little more background. I might have been jumping ahead too quickly. <laughs> so now I want to backtrack a little and to explain sort of more clearly the distinction between these two kinds of path that are spoken of in the text, what we call the mundane eightfold path and the lokutara or super mundane arya atangikamaka, the truly noble eightfold path. Okay, now what happens when we just, when we learn about the Dhamma and we acquire right view and then we start to practice the Dhamma in our day-to-day life or intensively in meditation retreats. What we are undertaking then is the mundane Eightfold Path. And this mundane Eightfold Path, you can say, has three, three stages of sila, samadhi, tanna, that is virtue, concentration, and wisdom. <coughs> okay, so one begins the mundane path, one has to have some kind of preliminary right view, otherwise one is not really practicing the Buddha Dhamma. One could say somebody might be practicing meditation just to have a calm, peaceful mind, to overcome mental vexations, to bring down, may have a lower blood pressure, to improve the health, for various reasons. But unless the practice is motivated and we could say guided by the right view of the Buddha's teaching, then it's not really practicing even the mundane path of Buddhism. So one will begin with some right view consisting in a basic understanding of the, say, law of karma and its fruit, the moral retribution for action, and some conceptual understanding of the Four Noble Truths, maybe dependent origination, the three characteristics. Okay, when you have that right view, then you start reflecting and thinking on the basis of that view. You could say that right view is right information, right opinion. Right opinion. Okay. Right foundation. Foundation of thinking. Right foundation of thinking because it keeps the foundation for thought. Yeah, but I would say right view itself better, right opinion, right understanding even. Right understanding. Yeah. But then one starts when you have that right understanding, then it changes the direction of one's thinking. So that instead of the mind 
going in the course of thoughts dominated by desire and aversion, then one starts developing thoughts of renunciation, detachment from sense pleasures, goodwill, and non-harming, non-injuring other beings. All of this is really the preliminary to sila, so to virtue. So when you have this preliminary right view and right thought, on the basis of those two factors, then one starts to develop the three stages of the path, virtue, concentration, and wisdom. In virtue, you have right speech, right action, right livelihood, still at the mundane level. In right, when you have the virtues established, then one will begin to develop some concentration, some samadhi, that is done through right effort and right mindfulness. And when they are successful, then they will come increasingly stronger samadhi or concentration. Then on the basis of the concentrated mind, then one turns the mind to reflect, to examine the true nature of body and mind. This is developing vipassana meditation, insight meditation. And as one gets deeper insight into the impermanence, suffering nature and selfless nature of these five aggregates, then panya, wisdom, understanding, insight, grows and becomes stronger. So all of these three stages now are still within the mundane path. This is still a level of the practice of one who is called a putujana, a whirling, but this is a good or noble putujana, a whirling who is striving to reach the super-mundane stage. Okay, now when the wisdom of insight reaches the peak level of maturity, and all the other faculties are strong enough, the faculties of faith, energy, concentration, and effort, faith, effort, mindfulness, and concentration, then the panya, wisdom, or insight, gets propelled beyond the mundane level into the super-mundane level. It becomes Arya-panya, noble wisdom. And when this takes place, then the path is driven up to a new level which is called the Lokutara Maga, the supermundane path. And the first, the supermundane path unfolds in four stages, what we call the path of stream entry, the path of once returner, path of non-returner, and path to arahatsha. And what is characteristic about the truly super-mundane path first is that when the super-mundane path arises, all eight factors of the path are present simultaneously. This is not a successive development as in the earlier stages, 
where you go from sila to samadhi to panya. But we have, of course, even when one is developing the wisdom of insight, then one is still observing precepts and there's still some concentration. But still we can say that in the mundane path, the three stages unfold successively in succession. But in the super mundane path, all eight factors of the path are present simultaneously. But that, uh, I miss right intention? Actually, right intention is what I have. Oh, I'm sorry. Here I have it as right thought. It's not, uh, it should be intention. It could be put under panya, but the way it's explained in the text, I prefer to see it as a preliminary. Um, I, I'll change the translation otherwise. Is that identical with right purpose? You would say purpose is a different just another word. Yeah, one could also put the right intention under panya, but I say that the function is not so manifest there. Under panya in the stage of insight, it's more the right view as understanding, say, the three characteristics, dependent, arising, that's what's more prominent. Okay, with the achievement of the super mundane path, the act the mind actually makes a switch or turn away from mundane phenomena to the super mundane. That is when one is practicing insight or vipassana, then one is contemplating the five aggregates form, feeling, perception, the mental formations, consciousness. And so the mind is contemplating these five groups of existence as they're arising and passing away, getting subtler and subtler to coming down to more and more refined levels of observing the arising and vanishing of these five aggregates. But then when the mind reaches the peak of insight, then it turns away from the five aggregates and the object that it takes is Nibbana. That is, it takes the unconditioned state as its object. And when that path arises, then the eight factors become present simultaneously. So we have all of the eight factors present in that state of consciousness, each performing its own distinct function. And this is what the Buddha refers to here when he's speaking of right concentration, the noble right concentration with its supports and requisites. He's referring to this supermundane, noble eightfold path in which right concentration is the predominant factor and all the other seven factors of the path are present as aids or supports of this right concentration. I think in this sutta he's chosen to give special emphasis to right concentration, but in other places one can consider the path primarily 
the function of panya, of wisdom, and then see the seven factors, including right concentration, as the supports for this wisdom. Okay, so now with that background, I think we can understand more clearly this distinction of the two types of right view. First, the Buddha emphasizes that that right view comes first. That is because even to begin the mundane path, one needs this right view which is able to distinguish between harmful views, wrong views, views which lead one astray into confusion, into intellectual error, and from there into moral disarray. One has to distinguish that wrong view from the, even from the right view. And right view, the Buddha says, is of two kinds. First, there's the right view which belongs to the preliminary stage of the path that he explains as the right view of karma and its fruit. But as I said last time, we should also understand under the mundane right view the understanding, the clear understanding of the Four Noble Truths conceptually and maybe partially by experience through insight, through reflection on one's own personal experience. Okay, but that type of right view is to be distinguished from the right view which arises at the moment of the super-mundane path. When the super-mundane path arises, then right view acquires a very different dimension. That is why in the Sutta, the Buddha distinguishes, he says that the right view the mundane right view, that it is right view which is some way sasava. It's connected with the asavas, the taints or defilements. Even though it's a pure state in itself, but it's at some very deep and subtle level, it's still bound up with the asavas. But somebody who has, say, the right view of karma and its fruit might still be desiring a pleasant state of rebirth, still desiring to go on existing within samsara. And the Buddha says that this right view is on the side of merit, that it's punya. It will bring about pleasant fruits or results in the mundane way of life. And it's ripening on the side of attachment, that is this mundane right view it's still connected with attachment and its nature is to bring about rebirth in the future. Though it will bring rebirth into higher realms of existence, not into the bad realms. But because the right view, the mundane right view is tied up with defilements and with repeated existence in samsara, it, for the, from the Buddhist standpoint, Ultimately, it has to be transcended, or it has to be supplemented by the super-mundane right view. And this super-mundane right view, the Buddha describes as Arya, that is, it's truly noble. 
It's the right view of the Arya Pugala, of the truly noble person. It's taintless anasapha. This word, last time it gave rise to a little confusion, since some people think if it's the right view which is taintless anasapha, that it must be possessed only by the Arhan. But that is not the case. The right supermundane, the taintless right view is possessed by all the noble persons, even from the stage of Srimantriyam. The reason why this supermundane right view is called taintless without asavas is because this type of right view will function like a sword or a knife to cut away all of the asavas, the taints or defilements. The nature of this right view is to liberate the mind from the defilements. So for that reason it's called taintless. And it's super mundane because it leads beyond the mundane level, beyond the conditioned world, and it's a factor of the noble eightfold path, the truly noble path. And then when the Buddha defines this type of right view, but a little difficult to understand, he doesn't give the conceptual, or you could say he doesn't give the content of that right view, but he explains it by relating it to various other factors in his system of training. And this is a feature which is very typical of the Abhidhamma style of exposition. He says, what is this right view, samaditi? First, he defines it in terms of a particular mental quality. That quality is panya, understanding or wisdom. So this right view, it's not just having a right opinion or right belief, but it's a direct, penetrative insight into the true nature of things, true insight through Panya. And then he calls it the faculty of wisdom, that it's just one of the five faculties or indriyas called Panyindriya, faculty of wisdom. The power of wisdom, Panya Bala, it's the Dhamma Vijaya Sambo Janda, that's the path factor which one of the seven Bojangas, seven enlightenment factors, the enlightenment factor which investigates phenomena. And it's the path factor of right view, the Samaditi as a factor of the noble path. <coughs> In one whose mind is noble, that is in the Aryan mind, not in the mind which is concerned with any kind of worldly matter, but this is the <coughs> right view which arises at the moment of a the Aryan chitta, or in the Abhidhamma language, in the Lokutara chitta, in a super mundane state of consciousness. And it's a mind which is taintless, a mind which is not affected by the taint. It doesn't mean only in a, in a, that it arises only in an arhan, in one who is completely eradicating the taint. But on the occasion when this right view 
or when this super mundane path has arisen, then no taints are present, no defilements, and the mind is working to eradicate the defilements. And then one who possesses the noble path and is developing the noble path. Okay, according to, now I should explain, according to the system of interpretation worked out in the Abhidhamma and the commentaries, this super mundane path is actually just a one moment of consciousness, just a single mind moment, which arises when insight is fully mature, then the mind just occurs for like one snap of a finger and then that is the super mundane path which they say it's followed immediately by the fruit consciousness that's the palachita which just occurs two or three times and then there comes a relapse back into the normal level of consciousness that is according to the abhidhamma system but it seems one doesn't find in the sutta system of explanation any acknowledgement of this one moment maga. It seems that there's, I wouldn't say a contradiction between them, but just maybe the two um, systems of explanation are worked out from different points of view. I think I would like to contribute with the drawing to illustrate yeah. right understanding. Oh, to find a very old, brilliant, brilliant relief. Relief, yeah. Relief, which is before they made Buddha Rupas, which is the illustration of right understanding, that means standing under. This is like this. That is the Dhamma umbrella. Here you find, and here you find the feet. Maybe you remember that that piece of art in the museum. And if you see it again, you will see. This is the image of right understanding, standing on the Dhamma. <laughs> okay, so now after the Buddha defines the super mundane right view he wants to show how right effort and right mindfulness fit into the path. Because as the sutta goes on, the Buddha is going to explain, well he, here he explains right view, he will give this very detailed analysis of right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. But he doesn't give a detailed explanation of right effort, or right mindfulness. So now he's going to show how right effort 
and right mindfulness fit into the path. And so very briefly, very concisely, he says, one makes an effort to abandon wrong view and to acquire right view. That is one's right effort. What is right effort, in effect? It's the effort to abandon all the unwholesome factors and to acquire and perfect all the wholesome factors. So when one is in the mundane stage of practice, especially in the stage of samadhi, but even before, even when one is developing sila to undertake precepts, to maintain precepts, one needs to make effort. When one is tempted to violate the precepts, then one restrains oneself. That is the work of energy. So in that way, one is applying effort. When one tries to stick, hold strictly to the right way of conduct, that is right effort. When one is trying to develop concentration, then one has to eliminate the disturbing mental states, the five hindrances, all the types of distracting thoughts, that is right effort. One has to strengthen one's concentration, that is right effort. When one is developing wisdom of insight, then one has to make an effort to eliminate the wrong views, wrong understanding. And one has to make an effort to contemplate the arising and passing away of the five aggregates. That is also a right effort. So that is the right effort in the preliminary section of the path, in the mundane path. Then, when one arrives at the super-mundane path, there is also effort present. That effort is the energy which empowers the noble path, which empowers the lokutara citta, the super-mundane path consciousness. And the special function of that super-mundane right effort is to cut off the defilements permanently and to bring about the perfection of all the other path factors. Okay, so that is the right effort in all the three stages of the mundane path and also in the super-mundane path. Then the Buddha has to show where right mindfulness fits in. And here he doesn't explain right mindfulness in terms of the practice of Satipatthana, but rather he just is done in a very simple, concise way. Mindfully, one abandons wrong view. Mindfully, one enters upon and abides in right view.
Okay, so the mindfulness comes in the mundane section of the path, even when one develops sila to observe the precepts, to maintain the precepts, one has to be mindful of one's actions, mindful of one's um, speech. And it's useful to be mindful not only of morally significant actions, but even of all one's little actions, day-to-day and day-to-day life. Not like myself, when we were getting ready to come here at 2 p.m. <laughs> Usually I have the key in the lock. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so then when I take the lock to lock the front door, then I just close the lock and then pull the key out from the lock and then put it in my bag and take off. But <laughs> today the key was not in the lock. So <laughs> I picked up the lock and just got everything together and went out the door, <laughs> closed the door. First I closed the connecting door in the back so that nobody could come in from the back. Then I closed the lock. Then I felt the lock to pull out the key. And suddenly <laughs> I realized the key wasn't there. <laughs> I thought, no, it will not be possible to get back into this building <laughs> without breaking through a window or something. <laughs> but fortunately, my friend that will come go here had the key to the back room, which he had mindfully taken with him. So he, we were able to get into the back. <laughs> okay, so one should be mindful in all one's day-to-day actions, and especially to develop right concentration then one has to be mindful of the meditation object, one has to be mindful of one's own states of mind, whether the mind is wandering from the object, whether it's disturbed by certain hindrances, one has to be mindful of how to apply the right remedy to eliminate the obstruction to concentration. Then to develop the wisdom of insight, one has to be mindful of the phenomena of mind and body by practicing the four satipatthanas, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of body, feeling, states of mind, and mental phenomena. When one is mindful of the four objects, four foundations of mindfulness, then the concentration gets stronger, and when the concentration is stronger, then insight wisdom can arise. So in this way, right mindfulness is present all the way through the mundane path, from the early stages of sila, right to the peak of insight knowledge. Then when the super-mundane path is present, right mindfulness is also present within that. And here, right mindfulness is present, I would say, in its actual function, only in terms of the fourth foundation of mindfulness, dhamma-nupassana. And in what way is it present in terms of dhamma-nupassana? It's within, if you remember, there are five categories of practicing dhamma 
So where would we find the mindfulness, right mindfulness, in the super mundane path? The faculties are present in the foundations of mindfulness. There's the foundations of mindfulness, we have five groups. In Dhammanupasana, we have five groups. Okay, what are the five groups? Okay, first, the contemplation of the five entrances. Do we have the super mundane path there? Then we have the contemplation of the five aggregates. Is the supermundane path present there? No. Then we have third contemplation of the six sense faculties or six uh, internal sense spaces and their objects. Is the supermundane path present there? Is it? No. Not yet, no. Okay, getting a little closer. Okay, then we have the contemplation of the seven factors of enlightenment. But is the mindfulness of the noble eightfold of the mindfulness of the supermundane path there? Is it? That's not so clear. But it's not yet there. It isn't. Still the sati, which is normally a sambo janga, I would say that is still the sati, which is practicing the basic mindfulness. Okay, then... Excuse me? It's not even... It's the sati, which is the object of the supramundane samasati is what we're trying to find. What is the object of that? So it's not the seven factors of enlightenment, even though they can be considered as practicing, as also integrated into the Noble Eightfold Path. We want to know what is the object of contemplation of the samasati. Okay, so that leaves one contemplation. What is the one sub-object, subject of contemplation? Yeah, but now, but let's take it in terms of the structure of sama, of dhammanopasana. What group of contemplation is left in dhammanopasana? That's not a group yet. We have, okay, the fifth group in Dhammanupasana is... Does anybody know the Sata Satipatthana Sutta by heart? The Four Noble Truths, right. Okay. The <laughs> Okay, so it's within the Four Noble Truths. Now when the super mundane path arises, is one aware, mindful of Dukkha at that point? This one. You say you are. 
Excuse me? Not in the super mundane path. Because one in the super mundane path, one is not observing the five aggregates anymore. The mind is beyond the five aggregates. It's super mundane. Even then, it's not contemplating selflessness anymore. That comes with the contemplation of selflessness. That comes in insight. So one is not the object of the super mundane power consciousness. It's not the first noble truth. Could it be the second noble truth? Is one con- is one contemplating craving at that time? Could it be the third noble truth? What is the third noble truth? Excuse me? It's the cessation of suffering, deep in the erosion. What is the cessation of suffering? It's Nibbana. So at that moment, some right mindfulness is present, and it's present as contemplation of the third noble truth, because the object is Nibbana. So it's not mindfulness even of the fourth noble truth, of the noble eightfold path, but it's rather it's the samasati of the noble eightfold path. But the object of that mindfulness, what it's contemplating, is the third noble truth for nibbana. Okay, so in this way, one has mind, right mindfulness present throughout the mundane path and at the, on the occasion of the super-mundane path. And then the Buddha, to close up this passage, he uses an interesting expression. He says, thus these three dhammas, these three states, run around and circle around right view. That is, we have right view, right effort, and right mindfulness. This, I think, also needs a little explanation. We have The three states are first the right view which comes first, that is the preliminary right view. We could say that runs around or circles around the right... Okay, let let us say the state that's in the middle is the right view which is the subject of discussion the right view which it belongs to the mundane path, or you can say the right view of insight, and the supramundane right view, the endless right view. That is in the middle. Then we can say the three states which are circling around and right mindfulness. Right effort is what empowers what energizes 
the right view and right mindfulness is what enables one mindfully to abandon wrong view and to perfect right view. Anything else to add on that? No, but sometimes I think if mindfulness is only unbroken in the perfect one, no? So with an unbroken sati we could do it, no? <coughs> uh, with the knowledge. But we should also have a little idea what is such a pure mind, what kind of motives he has for thought process. And that is for me a beautiful thing. Because finally we find out that such a mind which is free from philosophical reaction has only two motives for thinking, karuna and bodhisattva. And that is a picture of the Buddha. Okay, so that sort of gets us into the next topic, which is right intention, samasankata. Okay, this one is, I have to say, one of the trickiest factors in the Noble Eightfold Path because it seems to take on different qualities according to the, which path it's in, the mundane path or the super-mundane path. Okay, but now first, the most important, or very important point, when the Buddha begins to explain right intention, he goes back to the same formula with which he treated right view. He says, here monks, Right view comes first. And how does right view come first? One understands wrong intention as wrong intention and right intention as right intention. This is one's right view. That is, in order to have the right intention, which is a factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, even at the mundane level, it has to be preceded and guided by right view. Otherwise, people can have right intentions, right good intentions, good purposes. Some people will be very kind, very compassionate. And of course, that kindness and compassion are quite worthy qualities, personal qualities. But those qualities are not really factors of the Buddha's Eightfold Path, factors that are leading to the liberation from dukkha, from suffering, unless they are guided, preceded and guided by right view. And the Buddha stresses that here, the function of right view is to be able to distinguish between wrong intention and right intention. If one doesn't have this right view or right understanding, then one can start making all sorts of excuses and justifications for one's motives. Some people 
they think that they can just indulge freely in sensual pleasures and think that they are getting enlightened in that way. This is now something very common in the United States. <laughs> there are people selling all sorts of courses and, and making videotapes and so on, teaching how sexuality can be the way to enlightenment. <laughs> and so it's become very big business in America. <laughs> then there are other people who try to justify cruelty and violence as being a way for liberation. Right view opinion here we have it really to do with wrong opinions yeah. which are most of the opinions are connected with craving. We watch our forming of an opinion, we see that most of these opinions are somehow in connection with craving. So this is obvious that he goes in this direction of uh contents of this automatically. Or else you get people like, okay, like Adolf Hitler thought the cause for all of the problems in Germany, even in the whole world, is because of the Jewish people. So then he tries to exterminate all people of Jewish descent. So that's through wrong view, leading to wrong intention. So one must begin by having some understanding of the difference between wrong intention and right intention. And the Buddha makes always this very clear distinction between three types of wrong intention, three types of right intention. Okay, he says, what is wrong intention? Intention, or you say, purpose of engaging, indulging, and sensual desires. This is Kama Sankapa. So depending on the nature of the view, there follows the nature of our purposes, our motivation, our intention. So the three types of wrong intention which flow from wrong view are sensuality, the intention of enjoying sense pleasures, the intention of ill will, that's having as one's purpose or one's frame of mind wishing harm and suffering to others. And then the intention of cruelty or harmfulness. This is wishing that others will meet with suffering. Actually, as I explained it, the intention of ill will, the intention of cruelty seem rather close together. Maybe we could say to distinguish them. Ill will, that's more a feeling of just like anger, resentment towards <coughs> others. Or sort of wishing 
that they will meet with misfortune. But the intention of cruelty is actually in one's mind intending or wanting to inflict harm on them. So this third intention is really what motivates people to engage directly in harmful or cruel behavior. And you go so far that people are drawing their evil for them that is they are sucking pleasure out of these. Then it becomes real cruelty. It becomes cruelty and it is very common now because of a lack of uh, understanding of the pleasure. Okay, then the Buddha says that in regard to right intention, I think it's going to be a little, it'll take a little time to explain this. I don't want to try to push it into five minutes. So I think maybe we'll just stop at this point. And if there are any questions on anything that came up in the discussion of right view, then please feel free to ask those questions now. It's actually an interesting question because it seems experientially to myself that they've been very, very close together. And what I find to be an interesting thing, okay, the word for, okay, we have the two Pali words, Sankapa and Shaitana. And I would translate Sankapa right intention, but in Pali, the text, we rarely find the verb that corresponds to sankapa. I'm not even sure that it, whether it occurs at all in the, in the old sutras. It would be sankapati, sankapati, but I don't think one finds it. And in the text, we have chaitana and also the verb chaitati. Yeah, but I think that at the psychological level there should be a difference between them because um, the Buddha does use these two distinct terms and he doesn't identify them. But that they seem to come so close together that the only way I could distinguish them is to say that in Sankapa the actual content of the purpose is emphasized. So the Buddha defines Sankhapa in terms of the content. Wrong, wrong Sankhapa, Misa Sankhapa, Kama Sankhapa, sensuality, Yapara, ill will, Vihinsa, harming. Whereas he doesn't define Chaitanya so much in terms of its content, but it's considered more as a mental force. So I would say Chaitanya is the mental force of intentional thinking, the psychic force of intentional thinking. Wait, let me, that's not complicated. Okay. Chaitanya is the, what was the expression I just used? 
เดินไปไม่ตัวหมดวันที่ฟังไซเคิลฟอร์ซไคิลฟอร์อับอินเทนชั่นอลชั่นเดี๋ยวเดี๋ยวสักครู่นะซไคิลฟอร์อับอินเทนชั่นอลชั่นเวอร์ซันคัปเปอร์ชีวิตนั้นเป็นสิ่งที่ไม่ได้เป็นสิ่งที่ควรจะเป็นเพราะว่าสิ่งเหล่านี้ถูกกำหนดให้เป็นสิ่งที่ควรจะเป็นเพราะว่าสิ่งเหล่านี้ถูกกำหนดให้เป็นสิ่งที่ควรจะเป็นเพราะว่าสิ่งเหล่านี้ถูกกำหนดให้เป็นสิ่งที่ควรจะเป็นเพราะว่าสิ่งเหล่านี้ถูกกำหนดให้เป็นสิ่งที่ควรจะเป็นเพราะว่าสิ่งเหล่านี้ถูกกำหนดให้เป็นสิ่งที่ Is a factor only in particular states of consciousness, not in every state of consciousness. And actually, as we'll see later in the same sutra, sankapa becomes identified with the tattva, with thinking. Well, sankapa can be good or bad. If it's wrong, mitya v i t a t a then it's bad. For It belongs also to mano s a c h e t a generally spoken. Yeah, that seems to get a special emphasis. That emphasizes the active, creative. Because that is, that is, uh, these are the spokes, spokes of the wheel. Yeah. Nourishment. Any any further In the Abhidhamma, a theory is or kind of theoretical interpretation or explanation of consciousness is developed according to which consciousness is considered to occur as a succession of single moments of consciousness, just single mind moments, which are strung together, connected by laws of conditionality. ชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิตตัชชินชิต
maybe you can say the seeds of that theory are present in the sutras, but one doesn't find it fully or clearly articulated in the sutras. How would you make a picture of such a conscious moment that we can interact with it to see how it works? It's a rather vague question. Do you have something in mind? I have sometimes the idea that I operate nicely with the, with the idea, with the picture of a cube. Yeah. And the next cube, and the next cube, and the next cube. Yeah. Because there I counter the idea of uh, a threat who goes through the whole situation, which is always dangerous but because it can give a, an idea of upside. Yeah. But this cube seems to me not only psychology, we, we, we understand ourselves as cubes subconsciously if we draw something, but also here that being is that conscious moment. Huh? And that is like a cube, and then the next and the next. Well, if you see the mother uses the simile of a wheel which the wheel of a car, which always turns only on one point. It or touches the ground only on one point. So that is like the conscious moment of being. And as the wheel turns, then it's always a different point which is touching the ground. And so as our experience rolls on, then it's always a new conscious moment or a new moment of consciousness arising. I think that's the stand still. Yeah. Then it is interesting, then it stands still. Yeah. Because then you can understand the size of the point. Yeah. The wheel stands still, but yeah, the mind stands still. When the, when the wheel stands still, yeah. that point, yeah. the size of the point. There are only 70, 70 uh, options on the one point. That's according to the uh, yeah, according to the developed Abhidhamma system. But it, there's no time to explain the 17 mind moments. I think we'll have to stop now.